Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Dr. Dolores DiVizio. Uh, she's a professor of surgery, biomedical sciences, pathology, and laboratory medicine at Cedar Sinai. We're going to talk about how cancer spreads in blood and uh, tumors, you know, and how they, they send out extracellular vesicles, perhaps, to communicate with. Uh, metastases and, and other parts of the body. So, Dolores, thanks for coming. Thanks, Richard, for having me. Yeah, so what, what's your research about? Is it um, liquid biopsies or is it about just understanding the mechanism of, uh, you know, how, how cancer sp- spreads in blood? What's, how would you sum it up? Uh, it's actually both. Uh, so, um, so my research is focused on extracellular vesicles, which are small uh, pockets of cellular material covered by a lipid bilayer that are released by all cells in the body. And they, uh, they have become very important uh, mechanisms of intercellular communication between all the cells in the body. And because they can reach the uh, blood, the blood stream, and also other biological fluids, they have become very appealing sources for a biomarker identification in what is called a liquid biopsy approach. How um, readily do cells take up extracellular vesicles and, and how do they take them up? That's an interesting question. They, um, so, so if you imagine that all these cells release these vesicles pretty much continuously, of course, there are different stimuli that might increase or reduce the activity of these cells in releasing the vesicles, but overall this happens constantly. Um, you can imagine that there is a, a very big traffic of vesicles going from one cell to another. Obviously, most of these mechanisms of intercellular communication are finely regulated, and there will be cells that tend to uptake these vesicles better and more uh, efficiently than others. Um, uh, Usually the uptake of these vesicles um, involves the the presence of some receptors on the cells that uptake the vesicles and some recognition signal on the on the surface of the vesicles themselves, uh, so that this whole traffic is controlled uh, at certain level. Does anyone understand the biogenesis of EVs? Because then you could perhaps tar- um, mm. tag them fluorescently and see how they move through the cytoplasm and outwards, and then if there's any preferential uptake by certain cell types versus others. Uh, that's a very good question. There, there are several studies that are obviously trying to understand this phenomenon um, better. Uh, and there have been numerous attempts to uh, label these vesicles fluorescently so that we can basically track them. 
unfortunately, there are some limitations, some technical limitation at what we can do at the moment, meaning that uh, most of these studies have happened in cultured cells in vitro. Um, so, so you basically have to select the cell that you want to study uh, the intercellular communication um, and, and, and you're a little bit limited. Um, there are also some biodistribution studies where uh, scientists have injected uh, labeled, fluorescently labeled vesicles in the bloodstream of animals, um, mostly mice, but also there are several uh, zebrafish models that uh, are being used at these purposes. And, um, uh, and, and then they try to follow the biodistribution of the vesicles. Um, it's still, I mean, one, one thing that is emerging is that uh, there are some cellular types like uh, macrophages, dendritic cells, which are part of the immune system, as well as endothelial cells, um, which, um, which are the cells that uh, surround the, the vessels that uh, seem to be particularly prone to uh, take up these vesicles. Uh, but the mechanisms for, for that specifically are not known yet. Uh, there are some cells like macrophages and dendritic cells that are uh, able to phagocytite uh, different elements, including these extracellular vesicles, so might have intrinsic abilities to uptake these vesicles more than other cells. However, uh, my team and other teams have also shown, again, that this intercellular communication occurs between um, different cells, including cancer cells themselves, or cancer cells when they are communicating with the tumor microenvironment, um, which involves fibroblasts um, and also immune cells, um, again. So it is an intricate and complex uh, process um, uh, that cannot really be studied like um, as broadly uh, as it is and needs to be uh, dissected at some specific level to, to, um, to avoid confusion. Yeah, what, what are the, um, I've heard of exosomes, which I guess is a certain size range of EVs, but what's the typical uh, size range of EVs and uh, are any of them uh, more resilient than others where they could be studied easier and they wouldn't come apart through ultracentrifugation? Yeah, so, so and um, I, you, you also had asked about biogenesis before. So, so talking about the exosomes um, gives me also a chance to, to address that question a little bit. So exosomes are the extracellular vesicles that have been studied since the very beginning. They are the first type of vesicles that have been discovered uh, in the 60s or 70s uh, in the last century. Um, but only uh, later on uh, and um, in the last 20 uh, years or so, um, the mechanism of biogenesis for exosomes have uh, become uh, evident. And what seems to be um, clear at this point is that there is um, uh, um, an endocytotic machinery that is responsible for the formation of intracellular vesicles that can either 
uh, go to the lysosomal uh, pathway and be degraded, or they can be uh, recirculated um, toward the plasma membrane and shed uh, as exosomes. And there are several proteins that have been uh, involved uh, in the biogenesis of, uh, of, uh, of these exosomes, um, including um, escort proteins, um, which seem to be um, among the most relevant for this process. But as you mentioned, together with the exosomes, there is um, a wide range of other type of extracellular vesicles, and this is a much more recent um, research uh, field that um, uh, only in the last uh, eight to uh, ten years, uh, scientists have realized that um, not only uh, cells don't not only uh, release exosomes, but also um, what uh, is uh, what can be called ectosomes, which um, uh, in comparison to the exosomes are vesicles that originate directly from the formation of membrane blebs uh, that bud off and are shed uh, directly from the plasma. So while the size of the exosomes is very small and it's in the range of 50 to 150 nanometer, um, uh, approximately, um, and now we are also discovering that even in the context of exosomes, there can be larger exosomes and smaller exosomes. But besides that, um, the, the ectosomes uh, can span um, from this same small size to very large size, including up to few microns or several microns, uh, which can encompass the whole size of a cell. Um, and uh, and we, we, we have discovered um, a population, a particular population of these extracellular vesicles known as large oncosomes, uh, which are of the ectosome type, so they originate directly uh, from the plasma membrane, uh, from uh, blebs that form on the plasma membrane in non-apoptotic cells, cells that are not dying. And, um, and so these vesicles are significantly larger than exosomes and are released specifically by cancer cells with very aggressive propensities, meaning that they are highly uh, metastatic. So um, the larger EVs, um, <clears throat> are they any more resistant? Are they, able, I mean, can any be viewed under light microscopy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was one uh, of the uh, of the things that we found um, particularly interesting since the very beginning. Because um, so we 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 identify them um, by looking at cells uh, by uh, by um, immunofluorescence and using um, confocal microscopy uh, because they were really large, and 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 we identify them in cells, uh, cancer cells that were uh, treated or challenged with the potent growth factor, uh, which was inducing proliferation um, in the cancer cells, making them more proliferative and more aggressive. And that's when we noticed these very large blebs on the plasma membrane. And then we performed a series of experiments using a vital uh, cell microscopy that allowed us to realize that not only these large blebs were continuously dynamically forming on the surface of the cancer cells, but they were also shed eventually for, for, through mechanisms that we still, um, we still don't uh, accept. So in regards to cancer, um, I mean, have we been able to characterize the payload 
of EVs from a normal cell and then, you know, compare them to EVs from a cancer cell? Uh, that's uh, that's a very good question. We are um, we are actively uh, working on that, uh, and not just um, obviously several uh, groups uh, in the field. Um, the, um, the, there are some uh, proteins and other uh, biomolecules that are found in EVs, such as RNA, uh, DNA, and lipids, um, that can be found in in EVs deriving both from cancer or non cancer cells and actually from um, other diseased cells as well. And then there are uh, molecules that are specific to the disease. Um, and uh, so this is the case um, for, for, uh, for cancer molecules. Uh, the interesting thing about these extracellular vesicles is that while um, a portion of the molecules that are included, that are shed in the vesicles, is reflects the content of the cell itself, there are also some molecules that are found at very low level in the cancer cells, but they are shed actively in these extracellular vesicles. And this is what makes these vesicles also uh, as a very attractive uh, source for biomarker. You think that um, primary tumors are communicating and coordinating with metastases? Is there a way to tell that uh, if they're trafficking vesicles between themselves preferentially? Mm, if primary tumors uh, com- communicate. So, so you're talking about cases where there is a primary tumor and there are also uh, metastases, which is obviously right. not always the case because often the metastasis occurs uh, much later. And this is the case, especially for uh, prostate cancer, which has been our uh, main um, area of interest. So um, I have to say, I don't think, I don't think we have an answer. We have a, we have a clear Um, answer about that. There are studies that show that extracellular vesicles released from the primary site can reach distance-sized sites and uh, colonize them, uh, modifying the the microenvironment, thus allowing for cancer cells to metastasize there. Um, So this is the case for, um, it's been shown uh, for exosomes um, that uh, condition the pre-metastatic niche. Um, But I'm I'm not entirely sure if then there is a communication, a continuous communication between the primary and distant sites um, or uh, or vice versa. But we have to imagine this as a a very, uh, very active phenomenon, very continuous. One one challenge that uh, we are experiencing as a field um, is to model the the, the functional role of these vesicles in metastasis, for example, um, because what is becoming evident is that um, the original studies were based, were mostly performed in vitro and were based on uh, using um, uh, like very large concentrations of these vesicles to treat a small number of cells and then the effects were always extremely significant. But then when we move to the animal models, we have to, and and we're trying to look at a physiological 
intercellular communication without uh, using excess of extracellular vesicles, then the, the, the phenomenon is much more difficult to understand and in, it might take uh, weeks or even months for this um, intercellular communication to become functionally evident. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. However, uh, I, I think, and, and I'm sure several other scientists uh, uh, who work in this field believe um, that uh, the role of the extracellular vesicles is extremely significant uh, because, um, so, so it's basically, we, we, we are limited by the models, which is the case also for, for other fields in research, but we know that um, processes like cancer development and progression um, up to metastasis are, can be very slow processes. So we have to imagine that these vesicles are shed continuously um, but maybe, you know, we still don't know how stable they are, how many vesicles that are shed from a cell really survive and make it to the distant sites for, um, you know, to, to create a permissive environment metastasis um, uh, and several other obstacles that the vesicles might encounter in this process. Is there any way to use, um, you know, like CRISPR-Cas9 or radioactive tracers or something to target a certain cell and to see where, you know, if it creates EVs and if those tracers show up, you can yes. see the distribution. Yes. So, so this is recent, this is very recent uh, research. Um, there was a paper that was uh, published a couple of years ago in Cell uh, showing that if, uh, if, uh, if we overexpress a, um, a Cre recombinase in, um, in cells that release extracellular vesicles and a reporter in cells that can be used as recipient cells and these um, vectors are fluorescently labeled, we can see uh, the transfer of the vesicle from one cell to another. Um, and, uh, and after this paper, the, 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 a much more, much more recent paper um, used an alternative approach to this by using um, a, a guided RNA um, and CRISPR-Cas9 uh, to show that the vesicles can, um, can knock down a gene, a specific gene in recent cells. Again, one, um, one um, challenge at the moment with this type of systems is that they are not particularly efficient. Um, but um, I, I, I believe, I mean, we, we do have a, a grant funded by the NIH uh, also on, on this type of projects. And I do believe that uh, in the next few years, there will be a much better understanding on how we can facilitate the phenomenon in a way that it's, it can be studied, but still maintaining the physiological process that really happens in the body. So science, I mean, we think we know that um, cancer cells give off EVs all the time, and those are used in niche construction. That's, that seems to be at least currently the, uh, the theory. Uh, sorry. The... Is it, uh, yeah, um, so do we know so far that cancers are always giving off EVs, you know, just like other cells continuously, and but mm -hmm. cancer EVs seem to be used for niche construction. They seem to be what changing the gene expression of of, mm -hmm. of cells where they metastasize and then preparing it for metastasis. Yes, yes. So I I was already alluding to that work 
um, from the mostly from David Leiden group um, showing that um, these uh, exosomes or small extracellular vesicles um, can modify the cells at the metastatic niche uh, in the in the microenvironment uh, and thus um, induce specific alterations that facilitate uh, metastasis. We've also, in our team, uh, we are also performing uh, similar studies, which again are focused mostly in understanding how the large oncosomes play a role that is different from the role of the exosomes released from the same cancer cells. Um, and um, and we, 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 we have data showing that these large oncosomes can be um, taken up by uh, fibroblasts in the, in the stroma of the prostate, for example, um, where they can induce significant geno- gene alterations um, and uh, in particular the activation of transcription factors that are involved in reprogramming these stromal cells in a way that facilitates t- tumor progress- progression. And we're also um, in the process um, of uh, working uh, with um, bone marrow s- uh, mesenchymal stem cells, which are uh, one of the predominant dominant cell type uh, that is present in the bone, which is um, the uh, major metastatic site for several types of tumors, including prostate and breast cancer. Um, and we, 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 we have um, some preliminary data showing that also these cells can be uh, significantly reprogrammed um, by large oncosomes and uh, also by exosomes, but in different ways um, that basically also justify that the large oncosomes seem to uh, induce, seem to, to be um, much more powerful uh, in altering the response of the bone cells to tumor um, and permitting uh, the colonization of the tumor. Mm, um- Amongst different cancer types, I don't know if you've looked, but is their uh, EV expression and the function of the EVs very different? Is anyone looking at that? Um, yeah, well, so um, the, it, it's difficult to have these kind of studies because uh, often uh, we tend to focus on, on one type of tumor at a time. However, there are a few studies. Um, it seems that uh, all cancer cells um, in general uh, release a, a larger number of vesicles in comparison with normal cells, um, and um, and uh, the the large oncosomes are only released by particularly aggressive uh, cancer cells. But this also seems to be the case for all type of tumors, and not just uh, prostate, uh, breast cancer, uh, which are uh, the kind of tumors where we have focused uh, most of our attention so far. Um, have you seen that um, cancer cells are they'll preferentially take up EVs uh, from other cancer cells or from, you know, regular cells? Is there any difference in how they're uptaken? Is there any difference in how uh, they're utilized if they're uptaken mm, by cancer cells? Um, so, ah, that, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't think we have enough evidence for different uh, destiny or different fate 
of vesicles taken up by different mechanisms. I think we're still, we're really scratching the, the tip of the iceberg in trying to understand the mechanisms that regulate uptake. Um, there might be uh, some selective mechanisms that occur in cells that have a, a, a keen phagocytotic activities like the macrophages or dendritic cells, uh, which could use phagocytosis to uptake these vesicles. But overall, um, it seems that, uh, that, that several mechanisms can be used indistinctively from um, uh, like uh, both uh, normal and cancer cells in, in taking up the, the vesicles. We have done some studies ourselves. Uh, part, uh, part of this is also published, um, showing that if we compare the uptake of large oncosomes, for example, from different type of cells, uh, they can all uptake these vesicles by phagocytosis. Um, and um, there are sometimes slight uh, differences in the number of vesicles that can be uptaken. Um, but overall, um, it's, um, all cells can, can uptake these vesicles. It, it, it excluded cells like lymphocytes, uh, which might be still affected by the extracellular vesicles by um, mechanisms that in, in involve um, cell-to-cell -cell, uh, contact, uh, vesicle-to-cell contact, and not necessarily internalization of the vesicles in the lymphocytes. Um, and this seems to be also um, uh, easy to explain because lymphocytes are very small cells with a very small cytoplasm, so there is no room for the vesicles to be taken up by lymphocytes. But other than that, I would say that most of the cells um, in the body can, can take up uh, these vesicles, which again is the reason why uh, studying these intercellular interactions is not easy, is not necessarily easy, um, and um, and it's important to, uh, I mean, for people who, who would approach the field um, at this point, it's important to um, to know the literature and to know the challenges um, because uh, otherwise it's not even easy to um, to make appropriate conclusions about the result because you cannot easily yeah. distinguish which vesicle is coming from where and where is it going, basically. In the uptake, though, at the moment that a cell takes up a vesicle or, you know, is, is there an evaluation there? Should I take this up or should I block it? And why do you think that they'll take, you know, why would a cell take up a vesicle that could be harmful to itself? You know, once a cell takes up a vesicle, mm -hmm. is it able to do anything with it? Or does the vesicle kind of take control? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, um, well, this is, this is a very provocative question for the whole field, I guess. It's, um, I, and, and it's a very important one. Um, I think we, we tend to believe that every process is finally regulated, and this obviously includes the extracellular vesicle biogenesis and, and shedding and uh, uptake by, by other cells. 
Um, however, um, it could also be that simply because they are membrane enclosed, um, and so this membrane that covers the extracellular vesicles is a lipid bilayer, like the cellular, similar to the cellular bilayer, it could just be that um, uh, the, 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 basically the recipient cells can um, take these vesicles um, spontaneously or by uh, interacting with the specific receptors. And then when, once they are inside, um, it, of course, some of these vesicles might be uh, directed to um, the lysosomal machinery for degradation. Um, but what we are seeing more and more um, uh, is that uh, they, they are actually um, uh, like controlling several mechanisms, intracellular mechanisms, and even um, intracellular trafficking of, uh, of vesicles. Um, and um, so it's 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 it, it's not very well known what is the what, what is the fate of the vesicles once they are uh, in the cells i remember a few years ago we showed by using um a confocal microscopy with the with the three dimensional reconstruction uh, of the recipient cells that were uh, exposed to these vesicles, that we could even see large oncosomes, large vesicles in the nuclei of the recipient cells. Um, and we haven't been able to tackle the mechanism for that yet. Uh, neither we know if once they reach the nucleus, uh, they can transfer genetic material that can um, basically um, become a part of the host cell or not. But obviously, so these are all still open questions. Yeah, it's weird. Like when you consider phagocytosis, it seems like the cell is initiating that. And it's kind of an aggressive action that's eating. It's like, you know, like mm -hmm. enveloping something. But, you know, you wonder, is the cell being tricked uh, because of the, you know, the, the membrane of the EV or, you know, like who's doing the initiating? It's, it's strange, you know. Uh, we really don't, I mean, I don't think it's known because um, what is known is that if you exposed, uh, expose cells to vesicles, a part of these vesicles will, will be internalized. Obviously not all of them. Uh, and uh, if we are using excessive doses of these vesicles, not all of them is going to be internalized. But there is a tendency, which, which yes, could be totally due to the, to the fact that the membranes attract each other. Um, some vesicles seem to be uh, not even internalized, but, but their membranes fuses with the membrane of the recipient of the host cells, um, and thus they transfer their content in the recipient cells. Um, so there is not a one uh, single uh, mechanism. Um, phagocytosis seems to be more um, like more used um, to uptake large vesicles because phagocytosis in comparison to endocytosis and micropinocytosis can take up uh, larger vesicles. Um, but other than that, um, the, the, again, the, the, what seems to be happening in, also in vivo uh, is that um, the, the, this, there is a traffic of vesicles that when they get uh, 
close enough to, uh, to, a, to a cell, they can be uptaken. I'll give you an, an example just to clarify this a little bit further. Like uh, several scientists have wondered uh, even how do vesicles reach metastatic sites when, when they reach the circulation, the blood flow, they might be taken up by endothelial cells um, that surround the vessels. So unfortunately, again, it, it's, it's difficult to, to study, uh, but I think there are clear evidences that a big portion of the vesicles that we inject in animals are in fact taken up by uh, endothelial cells uh, and other cells before they reach um, the, uh, the site that we want to study. There are also uh, uh, important studies showing that the, the surface molecules of extracellular vesicles might, uh, like the, the composition of these uh, molecules might, um, might basically address one vesicle to a specific site. Uh, so it might be um, specific for different uh, metastatic organs. So tumors tend to metastasize to different organs and apparently the, 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 the surface proteins uh, uh, of the class of integrins on extracellular vesicles uh, seem to um, direct uh, toward which, uh, which organ the, the tumor will, will go and where it will uh, metastasize. Oh, interesting. Um, well, and this is very important when, so this is not an area of my um, study, but uh, people are also uh, using extracellular vesicles as therapeutic strategies because they can be, uh, yes, uptaken by uh, all cells in the body, basically, um, and, uh, and could be used um, for therapeutic strategies. So one thing that, in my opinion, has not happened yet, and, and it's uh, important to develop in the future, is to try to understand these interactions also even better so that um, we could also generate, uh, prepare uh, natural vesicles for therapeutics, uh, for therapeutics that can go specifically to an organ without being lost in the body. I think this is a very important thing that's to happen. Well, when people do uh, EV therapy, how do they create them? How do they culture them and get enough of them? Yeah, that's, uh, the, that's, that's a good question. Um, people have used several strategies and um, one of them is to um, culture um, mesenchymal cells that seem to be um, generating a large number of extracellular vesicles. And then there are uh, different approaches because the, these extracellular vesicles uh, um, most likely need to be genetically modified um, to express something that can be used um, um, as a therapeutic uh, agent. Uh, and, and basically the vesicles are only a vehicle for, for that therapeutic um, uh, agent. But there are uh, new technologies, there are uh, bioreactors that can 
generate a very large numbers um, of these EVs and several labs are actively working toward uh, making sure that the production is always the same and it does not undergo um, uh, biological um, differences, otherwise obviously it cannot be used therapeutically. Um, but this is this is a big area of development at the moment and very attractive as well. Do, um, hmm, thinking for a second, um, do stem cells give off EVs? Has anyone looked at that? Yeah, of course. Um, mesenchymal stem cells are among the ones that are most frequently used to generate this large production of EVs for therapeutics. Uh, but any any stem cell uh, can release any cell releases extracellular vesicles. That's the that's that's one of the bottom lines. That's one of the things we we have um, realized, um, including in in cancer. I mean, it, it, it's true that cancer cells uh, release a larger number of extracellular vesicles than normal cells, but normal cells release them as well. So all cells in the body uh, do. Okay, so the EVs that are being harvested, they're coming from cells that just express a lot of them, or are people thinking maybe the uh, the EVs given off by stem cells would be more effective or juicier, you know, more efficacious? I so so there are I think different opinions. One of which is that um, so so stem cells have also been used uh, for therapy themselves, uh, and um, I, I do know personally. Um, scientists who were working on uh, stem cells uh, as therapeutics uh, who then realized that these stem cells release large numbers of extracellular vesicles and the extracellular vesicles seem to be more appropriate than the entire cells um, in in providing the benefits um, of the response without the the complexity of introducing uh, all cells um, in the body, basically. So, um, but but the, so this is not my area of interest. I, I mostly work on um, on trying to understand the function of these vesicles in cancer, and also. Um, one thing that we are actively pursuing is to um, develop a clinical test because um, extracellular vesicles have really uh, received um, a very, uh, very, very large attention uh, as source of biomarkers. But one thing that um, I think uh, scientists had not considered when when we all started working toward this goal is that um, at the end of the day, if we're working with complex biofluids, including blood or plasma or urine or uh, um, any biofluid, we're not only going to find the extracellular vesicles um, that are generated by cancer cells or by the disease cell specifically, and it will always be like finding a, um, a needle in a high stack um, to identify the, the disease-specific biomarker. Um, so I feel like we we are uh, extremely facilitated um, and we are supported by the NIH uh, toward this goal uh, because the large oncosomes are uh, cancer specific. Um, and uh, in this study that we recently uh, published, we identified um, some uh, prostate cancer uh, specific biomarkers that are enclosed uh, in these vesicles. 
Um, and uh, our new approach, the new approach that we used, which is uh, based on um, uh, palmitoil proteomics, uh, so we're basically looking for proteins that are um, uh, that have a lipid modification, which is known as uh, acylation or palmitoylation. Um, when we find these, um, uh, basically these these proteins uh, can allow us to identify real markers of uh, extracellular vesicles deriving um, from the cancer cell, and this is because palmitoylation. Um, is a post-translational modification of the proteins that seem to be uh, functionally involved um, in uh, cancer progression. Several proteins that play a role in signal transduction and that facilitate um, cancer um, are palmitoylated. Um, and so we already have some preliminary data that were not published uh, in this paper, but we, we're keeping working on them, that um, show that if we use this uh, novel approach, uh, we can identify uh, more, um, more uh, significantly higher number of prostate cancer-derived uh, proteins uh, in, these, um, in these large oncosomes. So we, we are currently moving on uh, to refine the methodologies in a way that they are um, easily applicable to a clinical setting. Um, uh, and so that uh, in, I mean, it, or possibly in the next few years, um, there will be a, a test that can be applied to patients um, to, um, to basically tell them um, what is the, the, the stage of their disease or what is the potential of their cancer to become metastatic uh, and also um, to monitor a response to the therapy by studying the, 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 by quantifying and then looking at the cargo of, uh, of these uh, vesicles. What, what role do you think the vesicles have in assisting cancer? Like when you, when, when someone says, oh, it helps the cancer, it helps it how? Um, so I, I think, uh, so, so, so I think it's very clear, uh, from the literature that they have, they exert an important role in that. So the way I imagine this, um, is that basically these cancer cells release the vesicles and the vesicles, um, because they're smaller, um, they, um, and, and they are released in very high numbers, um, they can uh, reach the other sites or interact with other cells without the need of the, for the cancer cell to get in direct contact with, with the other elements. And by doing that, there are now a plethora of studies showing that they can activate signal transduction in other cells, they can activate specific pathways that make um, that reprogram the tumor microenvironment in a way that allows the cancer um, to disseminate and to become more aggressive. Mm, interesting. So is your research essentially divided between coming up with uh, effective liquid biopsies, you know, based on EV production and characterizing them, or is it, uh, is it split between that and trying to figure out what the EVs are doing yes. in terms of instruction or facilitation of the cancer? 
Yeah, it's the second. Uh, we're both, um, so we're taking advantage of this um, uh, relationship uh, or correlation between the presence of large oncosomes in a tumor and the aggressive behavior of, of the tumor. Um, so um, we, what we, we're trying to do uh, by um, developing a liquid biopsy approach, we're trying to understand early on in the clinical history of cancer um, whether the cancer will become metastatic or not. Because some cancers, and this is particularly the case for prostate cancer, but it's also the case for breast cancer and other type of tumors, they have an indolent clinical course. They do not relapse after treatment or surgery. They do not metastasize. So if we, but, and, and then of course there are aggressive cancers that um, for which there are already the clinical tools to uh, determine that they are aggressive. But then there is a whole gray zone of tumors where uh, the clinicians don't know whether they're going to become aggressive, lethal, kill the patient, uh, if they need more aggressive treatment or not. So this is where um, our uh, goal is uh, fully embedded. Um, like, for example, if we could recognize, uh, if we could predict a positive scan uh, in a patient with metastasis for, for like several months ahead, the clinicians could also treat these patients uh, differently. So this is, this is one area that to me is very, very important. And we are also, so when I talk about liquid biopsy, um, I'm not just talking about proteins that are present in these vesicles. We are also analyzing the um, RNA content, the DNA content. Uh, we already have uh, evidence that there are mutations and other genomic alterations typical of that tumor in the vesicles in the circulation. Um, and there are also um, RNAs that are uh, altered uh, and they are coming directly from the tumor. So this is one major area in my lab, but my lab is also interested in understanding the mechanisms, which again are poorly known at the moment, uh, by which uh, the vesicles are formed, uh, biogenesis, uh, how they interact with the other cells and how they modulate the other cells in a way that ultimately favors cancer progression. Hmm. Well, very good. Well, Dolores, what's the best way for people to uh, find out more about your work? How can they get in touch? Uh, they can get in touch. I think my email is on the web. Uh, there, there is my laboratory um, as a web page on the Cedar Sinai uh, Medical Center platform. Um, and I'm, I would be happy to, to take any questions, uh, mostly by email. Okay. Well, very good, Dolores. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, it's a new and exciting field. And maybe one of your friends will send you like a plushy extracellular vesicle doll or something for Christmas, you know, that'd be a, funny, a fun gift. You know what I mean, so thank you. Very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks. Richard. Right. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the finding genius podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.